tonight on Arena. Fair Rourke and Adam O'Regan of Soda Blonde perform live in studio and Peter McGann on the joys of live old school radio plays. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the program at RTE Arena. Indie alt pop band Soda Blonde formed in 2019, but the members have been playing together since they were teenagers. In fact, and are in the music business for almost 10 years at this stage. Their debut album, Small Talk, was released in 2021. Was nominated for RTE's Choice Music Prize Album of the Year. September just gone. They released their second album, Dream Big. Just kicked off an Irish and European tour to promote the album have a short break between gigs and delighted that Faye O'Rourke and Adam O'Regan agreed to come into studio to us <laughs> this evening and they're going to perform live and it's just the two of them and it's they're get and one little acoustic guitar, which is a which is an interesting uh, turn of events in some ways for, for Soda Blonde but out on tour at the moment Faye um, Obviously, this second album was a while coming for several reasons, not least of which was the dreaded pandemic, which soon we'll be able to not have to talk about in terms of album releases. But getting out and getting back on the road and out in front of big live audiences, what have the challenges been there? Actually, it's been quite, not to sound too corny, but life affirming, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's funny, we've been in this band so long and... uh, We've been doing this so long together, but it's kind of taken on a whole new meaning for us, I think, in the last kind of, even in the last year. It was mm-hmm. funny, actually, uh, myself and Adam had a massive row <laughs> in here last week. Massive. I don't think we've ever had a bigger row. Yeah. Please uh, hold off on that tonight now. But it's funny, you know, like we, we, we kind of, you know, we met up then and, and had everything and all, you know, we, we have such a close relationship mm. that these things, we kind of need to check in with each other, you know, and... After having that and going on the tour, it's like, I don't think we've ever enjoyed, I've never enjoyed touring yeah. so much ever, you know. I guess that's kind of important though, Adam, isn't it? That, you know, you don't want to be having big rows, but you certainly <laughs> have to be able to have big differences of opinion and big discussions around those differences of opinion. Because that's often what actually leads to the something that encompasses both desires and therefore is much bigger than either one separately. 100%. And it's a very unique type of relationship being in a band, you know, and especially the the, the relationship that Faye and I have evolved into in Soda mm. Blonde. You know, she's very much my, you know, creative partner. We often call each other, you know, she's my work wife, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. And uh, it's, uh, we just we just care so much and we both have so much respect for each other. But, you know, I think that that can sometimes boil over, yeah. Uh, but it's it's very healthy type of passion. I think you know. I, I just on, on the work on the work <coughs> wife to for for clarity's purpose did was this was it both of you? Or you certainly Faye got married in recent both times. Both of us got yeah. married a month apart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that maybe said something about the competition, <laughs> the competitive. Uh, yeah, I'm getting married first. I remember you said that to me. You were like, "Well, I, I got engaged first. You <laughs> <laughs> actually had a little row about that. Uh, no, 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 no. Well, no. <laughs> Because we were, because we were in the same, you know, we yeah. played the same wedding music. You know, we're in each other's wedding bands. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so you played, you thing. played for each other a little yeah. bit on yeah. on, on yeah, the yeah. days. However, coming back to to the album itself, <clears throat> I just love the title. It's their dream big. Mm. I mean, how, how has that kind of title and the the song and how has that informed? What you did on this album, second album, you know, famously is the difficult one or one of the mm. difficult ones. 
Well, I think we kind of decided on the name. We had all the tracks obviously mm. finished and that song, if you hear it in context, like has a completely different feeling to what you might think of when you yeah, hear an album yeah. called Dream Big. We kind of were, we were conscious of that if we chose the title, it could seem like it was really on the nose. So it was yeah. a bit of a brave choice, I think. Um, but I guess when I was writing this song, I was just thinking about, you know, the kind of climate that we, we live in and our, the dreams that we once yeah. thought have just been ripped out from underneath us. And to dream big is to just want very basic things like a roof over your head yeah. that nobody seems to be able to afford to acquire. And you know what I mean? Like our dreams have, in fact, have, we've had to, they've had to get smaller, I think, and more realistic um, which you know, which yeah. can be a, a good humbling yeah. thing. Smaller doesn't mean lesser necessarily. No, yeah, yeah. there's a there's a humility, yeah. you know, to it. Um, yeah, and it's interesting you say in the context of the album because it kind of the, it's the fourth track, Dream Big, on the album, and it's the first time that things kind of slow down and there's yeah. a more, more of a sense of oh, I'm, more introspective. I'm beginning to see inside this yeah. band and the and the pair of you in particular as as the essentially the songwriters here, and Space Baby, which is the one you're going to perform mm. for us tonight, acoustically. Mm-hmm. Adam, um, I, I'm dying to hear this because, yeah, you know, it is what it is on the album, but you really see a song, it opens itself up or closes itself down, as the case may be, when you do, when you do this to it, doesn't it? Well, it's always, it's the mark of a great song, really, if you can strip it right back to one mm. guitar and it, can st- and it can still hold up. And it's something that's always been very important to us since we've been making music, like, you know, for all the bells and whistles that we kind of um, adorn to a song, you know. Yeah. It has to be able. It has to hold. It has to hold to the one guitar test. You know. Yeah. So if there's no point in having great icing on the top, if there's no cake inside, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's listen to then the paired back guitar and voice only version <laughs> of Space Baby from Soda Blonde. Can admit that I am older I've got 
mistake is a line on my face and an answer. Say what you want, you didn't listen. I was so polite. No opposition. Now I don't give a what. Give a what? What do you want? Want? I need space, baby. I need space, baby. I need space, baby. Why do you call me baby anymore? I need space, baby. I need space, baby. I need space, baby. Why do you call me baby anymore? Say what you want. You didn't listen. I was so polite. No opposition. Now I don't give a what. Give a what? What do you want? I need space, baby. I need space, baby. I need space, baby. Call me baby anymore. I need space, baby. I need space, baby. I need space, maybe. Why do you call me baby anymore? baby there from Soda Blonde or at least from Fair Rourke and Animal Regan of Soda Blonde um, there, in olden days there was the old grey whistle test <laughs> and there we had and there we had the single guitar and two voices test that song really I, I know it's always dangerous to put any kind of autobiographical thing onto songs but there's a sense in that song when you sing it Faye mm. that you're really opening yourself and your own vulnerabilities sure, up to yeah. us yeah, I tend to do that. <laughs> but yeah, I had moved into uh, myself and my fiancé at the time. I proposed to him after two months, very spontaneously. And then the dreaded COVID hit and we were stuck in an apartment with no windows for, you know, months on end. And that was, mm. you know, I came out of that. And I guess it was about facing my flaws quite head on because mm. I'd made this massive commitment, you know, so early. Yeah. Um, so it really is a magnifying glass kind of up to yourself, I think, when you... And I think it's a great thing to follow passion that way, you know. Yeah. So I'll let you know if we get divorced. <laughs> well, I was going to say the old grey whistle test and the one guitar test. And then there's that test yeah, on, on, on the a relationship. Of, but relationship. I, 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 the, the way the two of you work together, Adam, because I mean, that is such a personal, it's clearly such a personal song as Faye sings it. How do you How do you fit into that, you know, when it's her song in that fashion, and yet you seem to be so much part of it. It's almost as if you're singing it to each other. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think if I've got one strength, it's, you know, maybe I'm the presentation guy and she's the, she's the, the heart, the soul guy. <laughs> but it's very much, you know, our secret weapon is, is, is Faye's fearlessness to be so vulnerable, you know, and then, and then it's mm. us guys who kind of like, you know, have the very easy job really of, of presenting it and and maybe sometimes emboldening it or driving a certain thing home and 
Um, so yeah, make no mistake, she's the chief. She's the chief songwriter in the group. But but um, it's. Uh, well, you see, now we're all gushy because we've gotten over our big row. We were saying this last week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, Adam does you know mixing, mastering, and mm. you know graphic design, directs our videos. So we just yeah, we would be nothing without. I'd be nothing. Well, it, it, it is that thing of, you know, there's no point in, in if the both of you are, maybe that, that can cause problems if there's too much. One person wants to be the songwriter, one person wants to be the videographer. I know there's more involved to, to mm. what you're doing than certainly just videography, Adam, and, you know, or wants to be the mixer or the, the, the overall music producer of the piece. Basically, Adam's everything. Let's <laughs> <laughs> have a fight. Yeah. That, was, that, was, that was a good row you had. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, it was very therapeutic. Um, the the I know you you mentioned specifically about the the track um, "Bad Machine" on the album. Mm. Uh, that has a kind of a. I think there's a. Am I going too far to say there's a bit of political anger within that somewhere? Uh, do you think, Adam? P- uh, political anger, I wouldn't say so much. There was definitely, I think, a desire to put a bit of rage into this record mm. um, insofar as some of the, son- the sonic direction, the production of the album. We wanted to have a bit more bite uh, in, so f- in, in terms of maybe a bit more guitar, a bit more angular um, aggression in that way. Political, and with that song, not so much. Danzig was probably our big political statement. Why yes, die for Danzig? Is, yeah, yeah. Uh, why, why die for Danzig? Mm. Maybe you'd explain, because that's a beautiful song on the album as well when it comes along and it, it, it brings us into a, a kind of a melancholy place again. Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, obviously, I mean, it goes without saying, I think Sinead O'Connor has been a huge influence on most female artists, most artists, you know, mm. in general. Mm. So I've always got her in mind and... I was watching the Munich security conference and, and Zelensky had said, why die for Danzig? And I didn't know what that meant. So out of curiosity, I, I Googled it and uh, it was just mad, you know, especially because... And, and when, when you, what meaning did it so, come so, to you? Well, he, the meaning, I didn't know. I was just intrigued because it sounded really beautiful and poetic. And then the meaning of it was... It was a slogan a French yeah. journalist used. You probably you know this probably on the eve of World War Two, and they were kind of saying like, "Why would we send troops into Poland? Like, what's the worst that could happen?" Type of thing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. let them have Poland, <laughs> and then obviously the rest is history. So, yeah, and I th- th- that song just keeps being unfortunately more and more relevant. It seems like every gig we do, we- we've got a new there's a new relevance to it. You know, like you had the night of the twenty third, and then all the stuff that's you know, 75 years time, yeah. of Palestine yeah. and everything so it seems to just carry this truthfulness across the board for us and you know it's carrying something it's, I it's, guess even singing that song now after events in Dublin of last week yeah, it will become a very, it. it'll become a different song in some ways won't it yeah. well that's yeah what we're kind of <coughs> conscious of as well you know but there's a line because I don't think we ever want to capitalise on like a moment, you know, yeah. that's something that we just always have a little bit of a caution around. Uh, we we want people to find the music naturally and not on the back of, of any kind of tragedy or trauma, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, and obviously the song was well, there well before any of the events of, course, of, yeah. of last week. So it's not as if you are uh, capitalising on that. There's another song on the on the album as well that I have to say really left me kind of sitting very quietly in my kitchen earlier today, <laughs> which is uh, less than nothing. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that was uh, it's a heavy one. I, I try really hard <clears throat> to write these romantic songs and they just come <laughs> They come out so melancholy. But uh, yeah. That, is it a cost to write a song that has 
I mean, even the title gives us a sense of it, you know, yeah. that, that it's a fairly it's a fairly bleak scenario that you're looking at. I'm comfortable at. in the bleak, Sean, I think, you know, <laughs> I, I find I'm not like I don't think I present myself that way, you know, hmm. to friends or family, you know, but I do kind of use that to really get to the crux of how I'm feeling, because ultimately, like I'm trying to figure out how to live, you know, yeah. and what. And the songs do that for you. I, they, they provide something for me. They kind of provide like a, a way to live where I discover like what I believe in because hmm. I think there's sort of an absence of, of something now. We don't have the same sort of community and the same doctrine that we had before. We're sort of very individual now. So I think the songs provide a community when we play them in front of people and people are there. It just feels like something more, you know. It gives that sort of spirituality to our lives, I think, that's sort of not there. So spiritu- spirituality and community are really a, a vital part so. of what, what you're doing in the band. It I sounds. think that's what I'm discovering for sure, you mm. know, I think so, definitely. And, and that's that's not a bad place to be in, I would have thought. Adam. Yeah, I mean, I think again, back to the title, Dream Big, you know, there's there's an element of that to that choice of the title. It's kind of, it's about trying to find a system of values, you know, and a kind of a meaning in what we're doing in an age where there's 100,000 songs being uploaded to Spotify every single day. And what does it mean to be an artist? What does any of this mean, you know? (laughs) And I I know you've spoken, you're you're quite, I don't, the fearful isn't the right word, but you're you're very wary of the whole AI situation and the the potential of AI to be used. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. well, was it an interview with um? Was it Bjorn from ABBA that you heard the? Interview? Yeah, that's Benny right. Bjorn, you heard. Yeah? Right, yeah, yeah, what was yeah. that interview? What was it that you heard? Yeah, that he you... was talking about. I think he had been invited in to um, test out this AI model that they're developing, where you could essentially type in, "Okay, give me a melody or write me a song in the style of a Queen with a touch of Frank Sinatra with the lyricism <laughs> of Nick Cave." Yeah, yeah, and he said it was terrifying. He says people people don't even have, they can't comprehend what's coming. You know. And so, I mean, it's it is scary. It is scary. I mm. mean, I, you know, I've, I was listening online to some of those this is the, the AI Beatles, you know, and people have like recreated or not recreated. They've created new mm. songs, you know, with Beatles sounds and stuff. And, and they they're believable? not bad. They're not. I mean, they're listen, listen. They're bad, but the me- the melodies are interesting to me. The chord progressions aren't quite as rudimentary as you might expect from a robot. You know, it's kind of yeah. like. It's 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 scary. But I suppose we have that, to fight. We have to fight. With, uh, but the ultimate thing is, you know, yes. Yeah, so the, the big corporations might want to create the, all of those different variations, the songs of oh, the Beatles yeah. with the with a bit of the Stones thrown in and Nick Cave, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, whatever combination you want to make. But the creativity of a single person coming out of a single person's experience or, or a band's experience, mm-hmm. you can't. You can't no, you replace can't. that. Yeah, you can't. And I think it's it's important to not be kind of living in fear of it either. We've just got to get ahead of it and be able to harness yeah. the technology for yeah. our benefits. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah so. but I suppose there the, the will be a positive side to it somewhere. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. we just have to find how to use it rather yeah. than let it use us. <laughs> okay, we're going to um, finish up by listening to... Is it today that the, the new single has actually been released? The boys, is, is it today the day or is it just the current single from the it's album? It's just the current single. Yeah, it actually came out last week, I believe. Mm. Um, well, so, and, and technically, it came out with the album, but uh, yeah. yeah. Well, give us a sense of because this is a different this is a different prospect to for number one the acoustic versions that we just heard. I hope there are going to be more of those. By the way, mm-hmm. oh, there yes. is. Yeah, yeah, we've got some coming in the new year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to release Good. a few acoustic numbers. Yeah, all right. Looking forward to that. So, who'll talk me into into boys? Shall I? Do you want to? Yeah, you can. 
Well, this was one that came along in lockdown. I remember uh, the third lockdown or something like that. I we, think it was the first one. Maybe it was the first one. No, actually, you're right. Never mind. I'll maybe it was the second one. <laughs> we, we, we kind of, um, we developed a little bit of a habit for breaking the rules. And uh, I was actually caretaking for a hotel in the city centre. And if you can imagine, it was a little bit like The Shining. We are in this hotel in a very ghostly Dublin city centre. And Faye would sneak out of her house in the Liberties and come across. I don't across. think you're supposed to be telling people. Ah, look, it's all over now. <laughs> and so she'd she sneak over and, and we set up a little studio in the top floor of this hotel. And she, we, we had a few little pieces of music. She had this one song that she was kind of like, oh, I don't think this one's any good. Which, whenever Faye says that, it's usually, it's always very good, yeah. you know. Um, and we loved this one in particular and um, we put a beat to it. And what's been interesting is that Everyone has said of this album, you know, it's it's got a bit of this in it. It's got a bit of 90s, it's got a bit of 80s, it's got a bit of early 90s. It sounds a bit Madonna, it sounds a bit Depeche Mode, it sounds a bit of this. None of those things were conscious necessarily. I think we were just trying to make the music that we wanted to hear. But it is funny, you know, how the uh, the influences just seep out. Yeah, so you didn't need an AI model to, well, to, to, AI to put model. all those no, names into sure. <laughs> You had it within your own creativity. Yeah. It's great to see both of you. Thanks Thank so much you for coming so much in. And I'll, I'll give a little bit. I know you the big day. The big date coming up is Vicar Street on December 14th. I'll give people full details of that. But let us listen to Boys. Somebody's been yelling in my head. You're the wrong one. Somebody's been spelling it out for me that I am too strong for you. Boys, the title of the song there from the album Dream Big from Soda Blonde. Great to speak with Faye Rourke and Adam O'Regan of the band. They will be continuing their Irish tour this week. They're at Cypress Avenue in Cork, followed by Belfast and Dock and Vicar Street then in Dublin on December the 14th. You can find out full details of all of the venues on the tour by going to the website sodablonde.com or indeed on ticketmaster.ie. Pulp Injection is a series of old-school pulp radio plays written and directed by Peter McGann. They're played out by some of the best upcoming actors and comedians in the country today to a live audience. And the next session will be at the Workman's Club in Dublin. Next week, the series will be returning for the first time in four years. Two brand new plays, which are already sold out, unfortunately. But delighted that uh, I'm joined in studio this evening by the writer, actor and comedian, Peter McGann. So where did the love of old school pulp radio plays come from, Peter? Oh, it's not even fr- I, the radio plays, the happy medium. Uh, it's the, pu- the love is more so the old films and stuff like that. Like I love old uh, movies like like westerns and, and crime movies and, and that, that kind of thing. So it was my way of getting, and I always fantasised about being like a screenwriter back in the day in the 40s in Hollywood. So I was like, my way of doing that, that actually might, people might want to come see is just make the comedy version of them with a cast of comedians and actors that you can put on live. So it's mm. kind of, it's more so the film side of things rather than the, yeah, the so radio you're, side. Yeah, you're harking back to that period, of course, when, you know, the plays weren't recorded, they were done live. Uh, Completely. On, in a, in a, in a, a radio studio with a live audience there in front of them. 
And a lot of the films that were made would get play versions of like these truncated, like hour long play versions of the films done mm. by the same cast. Well, Orson Welles yeah. classically moved from one across to the other with with great ease. So it's just a kind of a some a nostalgia somewhere within you for oh, yeah. something that happened in the nineteen forties. Something happened way before I was born. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's very self indulgent, I have to say now, but it's uh, it's good crack. But I, I guess when you perform, uh, particularly a radio play, I mean, listening to a radio play on the radio is 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 a particular experience. Mm-hmm. But seeing one performed live in front of you has inevitably, even if it's the most tragic story in the world, has a kind of inherent comedy. Completely. Like I, it's, now luckily all of my plays that I do in the Pulp Injection banner, they're all comedy so I I can play up to that but it's the idea of like just an actor using their voice and then oftentimes sound effects or something like that. Mm. It can, if you are watching that, you know, as a live, live audience, it's, you're, the remove, there's already a remove in regular theatre, but mm. there's like about 10 different removes then uh, when you're just doing a radio play where there's no blocking, there's no props. It's all very, it's all very kind of heightened in that way. And I guess, you know, I presume there's the kind of fun that you have where you might have one actor playing more than one character and he or she is kind of <laughs> going from this big birdie guy into perhaps his little voice or whatever. That and, is, and, and the audience get the visual side of that as well. Completely. I'm going out of my way to make that Every play is something like that where people are all doubling up and they're never playing the similar character. It's always kind of jumping from one ridiculous character to another. All right, let's have a let's have a listen to. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have the visuals for this. No, <laughs> we're just going to hear the hear the piece itself. Tell me a little bit. And this is from a, a previous pulp injection night. This is a, a play called Heroes Die First. Yes, this one is. Uh, it was kind of my take on uh, kind of like the old fifties heist movies like Asphalt Jungle and that. And in this. It's a it's a career criminal. Johnny Burnett is out with his uh, his partner's mall. Uh, they're looking for an engagement ring, and then he bumps into his old like a criminal mastermind <laughs> uh, who's casing the the diamond store as as they're in there. And it's the the idea of the in those old films they always have the push pull of like he wants to go straight, but he gets pulled back into life. Mm. And in th- my version of that is a very kind of Irish creative uh, mindset of version of that. All right, well, let's, let's have a listen to a little bit then from Heroes Day first. Johnny Burnett, is that you? Is that the professor? Gwen, this here's a true underworld legend. How do you do, Fraulein? Do not let my title fool you. It is but a simple jailhouse monkier. I'm not an actual man of science, unless that science is crime. <laughs> Say, Professor, what are you doing here? Casing the joint? Yup, big caper plant. Really excited for it. What about you? Anything coming up? Ah, you know, not really. You know, knock the old heist and capers on the head. You know yourself. <laughs> what? What a waste. The great Johnny Barnett giving up robbing and thieving. Ah, uh, you, you know yourself. Hard to make a proper living out of it. <laughs> you know, thinking of, applying, uh, thinking of applying for a mortgage now. You know, need something on paper show these lads. You know how it is. <laughs> Well, I'm putting a crew together for this one, and you'd be perfect for it. Oh, would I? Yeah, 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 that's a shame, that's a shame. Ah, no, 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 call to quits, you know. Fair play, fair play for sticking out of the old uh, life of crime, you know, it's not easy. All the best. A pleasure to meet you, Fraulein. There we go, a clip from Heroes Die First, one of Peter McGann's pulp injection plays. Peter with me in the studio this evening. So who was I listening to there? Because part of the comedy would be if we could actually see those actors. Exactly. You were listening to playing the 
elderly German uh, criminal mastermind. That was uh, a not elderly uh, Wexford woman called Aoife Spratt. And uh, Johnny Burnett uh, was Tony Cantwell. Uh, and there, as you said, the kind of joy of switching from one voice to another, like in that he goes from the typical kind of snarling gangster thing and then he mm. goes into the his like eh, no you know yourself so like that that kind of when that's happening live it's just electric like when it, when it gets when it works basically yeah and obviously you have a background in comedy mm-hmm. in, and in stand up how different a, a prospect is it when you have a, a very scripted piece like this of course we all think that comedy's off the top of the head <laughs> yeah. it's probably very scripted as well but w- what for you is the difference between the the two forms that if you like of comedy that you're doing the, the radio plays in front of a live audience and stand up I, I guess it's it's um, I love I love basically working with actors and I love writing dialogue and I love the, the, the storytelling and working within genre so that is for, for me the great joy whereas stand up is something that I, I really like to do and I've like kind of, I've been lucky, very lucky mm. in regards to that. But it's uh, in terms of like where my heart lies and what the kind of the, the, the things I like to make. The pulp injection is much more in that realm. And uh, I guess it's me at a remove. It's like I get it's almost the purest version of it because I'm not in any of these. I was so going to ask you. So you yeah. don't you don't perform in these. At I'm all. off stage with a laptop doing the sound cues, the gunshots, <laughs> the cars screeching, the windows breaking. That's me, mm. my job. Uh, but I so it's almost like the purest form of audience because they're just laughing at your jokes as done by great actors yeah, and great yeah. comedians so there's it's it's a it's a totally different thing like the the stand up thing you've got them in the palm of your hand all going well and it's just you up there whereas pulp injection it's a lot more communal or something or it's like you're almost like looking as a proud father kind of <laughs> at the back of the room like hearing yeah. people laugh while other people are doing it. Oh, that's interesting so I mean you, I would have thought that as a stand up you know when, when you're out there and as you say it's going well and you have them in the palm of your hand and you feel the energy and that laughter coming back that that would be very gratifying you're suggesting to me though that the gratification of sitting backstage hearing them laughing at what you wrote is is more I, I, I kind, kind of, do you know what? I feel like almost maybe because now I've done both of them. When I, I hadn't done stand up to the to the highest level mm. as I have now in terms of like performing to crowds. Uh, when I was doing the original ones, I think what it is, and this is just me pulling this uh, out of my head right now. I think it's uh, we. I can't enjoy myself fully doing the stand up because you're so conscious of getting the next joke and not messing up and not forgetting that line. Whereas with this. It's out of my hands. So yeah. when it is going well and everyone are laughing, I can just enjoy it. Well, obviously I'm still hitting yes, the sound. Remember, cues, but like yeah. it's 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 fairly low stakes for me at that point. So I think maybe that's why I kind of got a warmer feeling towards it because it's, it's yeah, the actual experience of it is, is funner. And, that's it. and, and as, you, as you were saying, doing the sound cues, you were <laughs> you had you were doing the fingers if you were hitting the, oh, the space hitting, bar. Hitting yeah, the the space bar yeah, on the, yeah. Do you, do any of this? Because that is another thing I've seen plays like this done live, where in fact the making of the sound effects in 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 and of itself can sometimes be part of the comedy. Do you have any natural sound effects or foley artists, if, as it were? I've thought of it, and I'm like, if ever I do this as a the Dublin Fringe or something. If ever mm. I do it, then I'll do it um, with the, I'll do go that far and kind of, because I, I do kind of kick myself and think it's a wasted opportunity not having actual like, you know, you know stabbing a watermelon or whatever, or stomping yes. on whatever. But um, no, the, because I'm doing it in such a constricted time and, and I, I'm, I work it around a million other things so I'm always in the end it's like it's easier just to have the sound files ready to go on the laptop yeah. but I'd love it is if ever it get, it goes to another kind of 
form, I guess, like a like a theatre festival or something. I definitely that's you'd, you'd you'd have right. to do it. That's really. side of thing. So we you have two new plays for this mm-hmm. new outing. So tell me a little bit about both of those. The first one is the first one's called Papal Fury. It's uh, about uh, the iconic Dublin Garda uh, Lugs Brannigan and it's, uh, he gets pulled out of retirement to uh, bodyguard the Pope John Paul II as he comes to Ireland 1979 so it's very much a midnight run with Lugs Brannigan and the Pope and uh, the other one is uh, it's kind of I've been like the last uh, two years I've been getting really into like the Italian 70s kind of giallo uh, cinema so I, it's kind of a Dario Argento Suspiria type thing called a uh, the stranger with a smile of blood. They're all, they sound bleak and intense, but they're not at all. They're very stupid and silly and full of jokes and uh, very, they're, I'm kind of, I'm very pleased. With how I, yeah, out. but you're still following that, albeit a slightly different style of film. You are following that old, that nostalgia for the old, the Completely. old world I, of, of stardom and Hollywood. Well, I'm actually in this writing, case, Italy. In this case, Italy. When I'm writing them, I am, I'm mad. I'm like, they have to work as stories as they can't just be a little vehicle for jokes they have to have nice storylines underneath as well and be sa- at somewhat satisfied to a genre kind of mm. level as well as just jokes when you are doing the stand up do you always perform as Liam Nugent as stand up or is it only occasionally as Liam Nugent occasionally pre covid it was just Liam was the was the, the, my stand up but since then since covid and, and because mm. i've had a bit of luck with uh, kind of online stuff uh, and and my name been known. I've started doing more in my more as myself in quotes, but it's all very. I'm not very. Uh, I don't do the the personal kind of. Yeah, I, 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 even even as you're speaking to me saying that, you suddenly you've, your eyes are going down. <laughs> to, your eyes are going down to the table. You're almost yeah. afraid to look me, and almost yeah. afraid to look me in the in the. Is 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 it quite soul bearing then in some ways to go? Hi, I'm Peter McGann. I suppose to hi, I'm Liam, or hi, I'm Liam Nugent. Completely, I, it's much easier to do via characters of Vi Vi, something like like Paul. Because I like I say that I did a show uh, tour there called Great Lad, and the show that basically I open the show by telling why it's called Great Lad. It's not because I think I'm a great lad. It's because <laughs> when I was growing up, uh, if you did something anyway, notionally, people would be like, great lad, and so I just always have this voice up in my where? head uh, down in Wicklow, uh, mm. in I'm from Rathdrum, went to school in Arkham. Mm. So it's uh, you always have that voice in your head, being like, what are you at, kind of thing. So I think doing characters and doing things like that that gives you a nice remove, so you don't feel the unwarranted shame of doing and, any of this. And just for people who may know you from the online sketches, because that's another side of things. The mm-hmm. famous one is the tea bag, and who's yes. who's the girl that you didn't marry? The girl, <laughs> the girl I didn't marry is. Oh my God, Maria! Is it Maria? Maria is her Maraid. name. Yes, I can't. It's, I, you, I, you, these things weigh so yeah. much in your life. So clearly, it's not autobiographical. No, no, thank <laughs> God. It's no Maria down in Wicklow going. That, that was, was me. me. No, it wasn't. Maria doesn't exist. Well, pe- does people may, should go and search Maria and tea bag, uh, and, and I think they'll find that sketch pretty. pretty I quickly. hope that's what you find. But uh, yes, it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, let's hope that is what you find. Uh, it's uh, yeah. I, on Peter J McGann is my. On the, the socials, right? And there's well, listen, good, great to see you, Peter. Thanks, mate. Uh, continued success with the with the pulp injection series. Appreciate it. And hopefully, the next one won't be sold out. When, when exactly. You come yeah. to talk I have an excuse it. to come back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, writer, actor, comedian Peter McGann. Radio plays pulp injection uh, on at the Workman's Club in Dublin Monday the fourth, Tuesday the fifth of the next week. Unfortunately, already sold out. But you wouldn't know. There might be returns. It yeah, might be worth, but, but, might be worth checking it out. Just take an uh, old walk down to the door, and if there's no tickets to the door, go next door for a pint or something. There's, there's always that option. Thanks, Peter. All the best. Thanks.
So tonight we're going to look at three new TV series released this week across various streaming services. The first is A Nearly Normal Family, Swedish crime drama in which the world of a seemingly perfect family shatters when a shocking murder proves that they are willing to make desperate moves to protect one another. Slow Horses is back with season three. Gary Oldman as Jackson Lamb, an unconventional MI5 agent based on Mick Heron's Slough House book series. Season three is adapted from Real Tigers and The Doll Factory. Again, an adaptation this time the novel by Elizabeth McNeil, set in 1850s London and our own Anna Hardwick plays Silas, a strange taxidermist who becomes dangerously obsessed with Iris and aspiring artist Chris Wasser has been watching all three for us and he's with me in studio this evening. We'll start with A, a Nearly Normal Family, available on Netflix with Swedish subtitles. I have to say, Chris, I watched the opening section of this just to get a flavour of it. Mm. It's it from the moment it starts. It's dark. It's psychological, and it's really well done. But it's tough watching. Very well done. As a you know, it's kind of your typical Scandi crime drama in a way. Mm. You know, it sucks you in, and it's quite serious and grim from from the beginning. Um, it begins with a school trip, um, and the crime you mentioned at the top is not the first crime that that no. that, that we experience in this series. Uh, you have the, uh, uh, the 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 central character Stella Sandell, portrayed by Alexander Carlson Typhus, who's actually making her acting debut in this series, and is very good. You'd never know it. Yeah. Um, she's fifteen when we meet her, and she's sent off on a handball trip uh, with her with her class and herself and her friends are on the bus and they're pointing out this handsome new instructor and they all want to spend a bit of time with this new instructor and she does spend a bit of time and the instructor uh, he turns out can't, can't be trusted he sexually assaults yeah. her after a swimming trip um, and so obviously the parents are called she informs her parents this is where we learn a bit about the family and this is a defining moment for the family the father Adam who is a pastor played by Bjorn Berenstain he believes his daughter and he wants to take the case for it he, they want, he wants to report it to the police the mother Eureka uh, played by Lo Cowpey she is a lawyer and she says that without any hard evidence and they don't have the hard evidence um the case will fall apart in court and she just thinks we'll deal with it here yeah. she also asks her daughter way too many questions to, to, to tell us that she doesn't believe her and that as I say is a defining moment so four years later we see that Stella you know their, her relationship with her mother and father it is quite strange yeah. the relationship between the parents themselves is quite strange and we watch as on her 19th birthday she meets this uh, a new handsome stranger only this time that ends with his death and she's blamed on it. So we kind of get, then get into this uh, 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 mystery thriller, eventually a courtroom drama, where we, we as the audience as well are constantly mm. questioning, did she do this? Why would she do this? And also we're watching as her parents try to defend her when it looks as though everything is saying that she did actually commit this crime. And uh, comparisons here, I know some people have been talking about Gone Girl or The Girl on the Train. Are we in that world or are we in a darker world than that? Yeah, I mentioned those because we're in you know the world of the unreliable narrator. Mm. And in the book, uh, the it's told from three different perspectives and then certainly in the first and second episode we see the mother the daughter it actually mm. comes up on screen you know yeah. uh, the father um, so we are dealing with three different stories and we we're never really sure you know, and, and, and people constantly changing you know their alibis for where they were the night of the murder uh, so we're never really sure who exactly to trust even when the things are playing out in front of us um, it's it's very well acted uh, especially as I said Alexander Carlson Tire Force acting debut uh, a wonderful career in front of her yeah. I'd say um, gets a little bit it's soapy and a bit too melodramatic at times, uh, but I, I I'm trying to figure out what that mystery is. It has me. It's yeah. doing what it's supposed to do. How many episodes? Are we, are we There's six in total. Six in total, yeah. and, and we get different perspectives along the way. So that is uh, a, a nearly normal family, and it is available on Netflix. 
let's move on to Slow Horses Season 3 available on Apple TV Plus and I can't help but smile <laughs> It's great, isn't it? I think I think I remember us speaking about we season did. one of this a couple of years back. Uh, just remember the <laughs> remembers of the basic setup here. The basic it, setup it, it, is of uh, slow horses. Why they are so called? It's uh, because we're dealing with the slow horses of the British Secret Service. Uh, basically, Slow House is the place where you know bad spies go to die. Mm. Uh, you know, it's purgatory for spies. It, it, it's an administrative it. dumping ground where various MI five agents, because of some mess up, because of something that they did wrong, or you know some. Some in some cases the, the mistakes that these agents have made have been pretty spectacular. Uh, you know they put the the, the security of their their mm. entire country at risk. This is where they're sent, and they're sent to work for this horrible man, but an ingenious creation, an ingenious character, um, Jackson Lamb, portrayed brilliantly by yeah. by um, by Gary Oldman, um, who just goes and he's just he's a sl- he's not very pleasant to, to look at either. And then from the supporting character, he's not very pleasant to be around because he's constantly breaking wind and he doesn't wash himself. But he's always giving these menial tasks to the people to the you know the wannabe agents who work at Slow House because I think he's trying to get you know kill their spirit he's trying to get them to give yeah. up but the agents are constantly trying to find ways to redeem themselves and to be the James Bond that they think they can be uh, Who's the, the big kind of uh, the young fellow who comes into it? That is uh, River Cartwright portrayed yeah. by Jack Loudon Right Jack Loudon I think that's the clip that we have here um, a little conversation between the two of them and they're worried about Catherine uh, who, Yeah Catherine is in charge uh, she basically runs Slow House when Jackson is sleeping and in this new series Series, she has been kidnapped, presumably by another group of spies, mm. but we don't yet know. But played somehow, uh, another group of spies, uh, the lead spy is played by. No, sorry, uh, I'm talking about Catherine. Catherine. Oh, Catherine's played by Saskia, Saskia Reeves. Reeves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the people who've seen the first two seasons will know. We'll be familiar yeah, with that. Yeah. 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 But here's the here's the conversation between the two lads yeah. uh, about um, Catherine is mentioned within it. Wait, wh- what do you think's happened to Catherine? Maybe she fell off the wagon or ran away to start a donkey sanctuary. All I know is she's not here. Yeah. Well, last night... (sighs) What? Nah, it's probably nothing. Maybe she's just late. She's never late. And if she was, she'd ring, but she can't because her mobile's off. Okay, well, then her battery ran out. Or she, you know, got stuck on the tube. No, she doesn't get the tube. And her phone doesn't run out. And you're only making these dumb suggestions because you don't want to admit that you might have fucked up. So why don't you just tell me what happened and I'll decide how much I hurt you. Last night I said goodbye to her on the street and then this guy bumped into me heading in her direction. Agent description. Late 30s, black, athletic. I mean, I really didn't get that good a look at the guy. He probably wasn't even following her. But you didn't think of... Hanging around to find out. I guess I was thinking, why would anyone be following her? There you go. Jack Loudon and Gary Oldman in a scene from season three of uh, Slow Horses. Apologies, should have warned you about that language in the midst of it. But it's very hard to pick a section, particularly when Gary Oldman is speaking. He's pretty potty mouthed um, the the whole way throughout there. how does this develop? Can, can you just land into season three? Will you know where you are fairly quickly? Or it explains itself so well. Newcomers mm. could actually watch season three and then figure it out, figure out the whole thing. And that's quite rare for a story with yeah. so many different plot threads going on. I think the last time we spoke about this, I described it as a workplace drama, sort of masquerading as a spy series. Yeah. That's still what it is. You, you could look at it as a comedy, but the spy stuff in here is sometimes even better than what the Carrie and Fleming gave us. Uh, the stories are So fantastic. there is serious... 
there are serious. serious spy aspects to oh, it. Oh, there are very serious spy as aspects. As well as the dark comedy. Yeah. I mean, I won't say who, but this new third yeah. season does end or does begin with a death. So there's some very serious stuff in here. Right, okay. Um, let's move on then finally to your third piece tonight, which is The Doll Factory on Paramount+. Plus. This is an Irish production. So what's involved here? What's involved, it's actually based an on... almost uh, Irish production. Yeah, co-produced by Shinna Will, uh, filmed here, large uh, cast of Irish characters. Um, and, you know, if you crane your neck and look close enough, you can actually see parts of Dublin at times. Um, but it's set in the 1850s in London and it concerns a young woman named Iris, uh, played by Esme Creed Miles. She's working alongside her sister Rose in a this cre- very creepy porcelain mm. doll shop. And basically people come in who have lost their children and they want a porcelain doll that will have the likeness of their kids that they can basically have at home to, to remember them by. Um, so it's not a very uh, joyful uh, position but Iris and Rose are kind of just lucky to have a roof over their heads there's some sort of tragic uh, family background there and they put up with an awful lot of abuse from the proprietor Mrs Salter Uh, but one day Iris uh, uh, heads out Uh, she gets out for a break she goes to Hyde Park where the great exhibition is being unveiled and she bumps into this uh, local uh, curiosity shop owner and also part-time taxidermist his name is Silas he's played by her own Enya Hardwick Um, and he is instantly smitten where, but at the same time can't even bring himself to have a conversation but he tells some of the pre-Raphael, uh, pre-Raphaelite um, artists uh, that he hangs around with about her they kind of get involved with her she's asked to be an artist model and because she kind of starts hanging around with them Silas isn't too happy about it and we also have this other subplot in the background about what ha- happens at one of the artists Louis Frost studio which is known as the factory and every now and then we hear a lot of screaming yeah. happening in that factory so There's, there, there are nasty things yeah, afoot yeah. for so for it's, sure. it's, there's a lot going on there and in terms of I mean 1850s London the Victorian area obviously um, how dark uh, a London are we uh, visiting here very dark everyone is tortured or troubled or has you know some sort of tragic past um, and the series kind of alternates at times between gothic horror uh, we see some horrible scenes I mm. mean as I said Silas is into taxidermy and he hangs around with uh, uh, scientist types who you know at one stage are amputating a man's leg and even I watching it you know I, I, I love horror but watching it I was thinking well this is this is a bit much um, you know and then we also kind of get into uh, uh, you know sexually charged melodrama at times and like these these weird secrets that Rose and, and Iris have 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 between them, and does the, that those tonal shifts do they work? They are a little bit jarring. It kind of you know a lot of the time I was watching this, I, mm. I just kept thinking you know this series definitely needs to pick a lane because at times it wants to be almost a, a period romance as well. It's setting us up for something between either Louis and Iris or between Silas and Iris. F- uh, fabulous performances. Our own Enya Hardwick is very good, yeah. very good here at playing someone who we can't help but feel sorry for, and that's down to his performance because at the same time when you come away from it, you think that is an, an obsessive character he's yeah. a bit messed up we shouldn't be rooting for him I will say though it's a little bit lifeless at times it, it takes an awful long time to get going I think there you know you could you, you could shorten right. a lot of the scenes so you know I, I'm rooting for the performances it was also nice to see Derry Girls uh, Saoirse Monica Jackson in there too uh, rooting for the performances and the producers it's just the storytelling needs to hurry up a little bit a little bit faster please the, the Doll Factory uh, streaming now on Paramount new episodes arrive daily until Friday and that is our lot for this evening here on Arena uh, Paula Shields researched Ollie Hamilton was the broadcast coordinator Harry Buckless was on sound this evening and tonight's programme produced by Sinead Egan back with you tomorrow night 7 o'clock here on RT Radio 1 John Creedon will be with you after the news